Today is our last week in our series uh, titled, God Never Said That. We've been looking at statements uh, that have been twisted and are attributed to God, though. Ideas, statements that are misleading. Last week, Pastor John Ferguson uh, preached on Judge Not and how that's a a go-to for people, especially uh, non-Christians. If all we did was say Judge Not, we'll miss life-giving permission to come in to someone's blind spot and help them, maybe in sin or in uh, speaking truth, and then having truth uh, stated to us. And so these, uh, these statements, we need to go deeper into them and see what's behind them. For today's message, I want to begin with some audience participation. I want you to help me finish these statements or fill in the blank. First one is, what goes around? That's right. Or what comes around goes around. <laughs> Your past will... Come back to haunt you, right. You made your bed now, you're right. These are very common messages that we hear from people all to point to this message, which is our, 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 our week series, our, our week of what we're going to focus on. You get what you deserve, right. So today we're talking about how this line that we can apply this line to God and the way we see God. Well, God never said that. You get what you deserve. How do we practice this in daily living? Think about it. Let's, it's July 30th. Let's go to the winter for a moment. I don't know if you've been driving down 275 and there's snow on the ground. It's unsalted, it's untreated, not plowed, and you're, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in a snowstorm. And you're in the middle lane. You're trying to just make it home. And there's always that one guy, isn't there, or gal, that flies by you in the fast lane. And what do you see about a mile down the road? That person spun out in a ditch. And where does your brain go? You might even say it with a smile. Serves you right, buddy. You get what you deserve. It's like the, the uh, karma cafe quote. No menus. You'll get served what you deserve. What is karma? Well, in Hinduism, Buddhism, it's, a, it's the sum of a person's actions in this or previous states of existence viewed as deciding their fate in future existence. Many believe there's something highly satisfying when karma strikes. Here's the truth. That doesn't go with us Christians. It's not the way of a Christian. Let me show you what Christians practice. Let me start with one example from the Bible just to get our minds tracking in the right way. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two criminals or two thieves and now these guys have must have done something horribly wrong to deserve crucifixion. That Roman, in that day and age, Roman justice. Maybe they were murdered somebody when they were stealing. Scripture says that one of the criminals who hung on the cross hurled insults at Jesus and said, Aren't you the Messiah? Well, if you are, save us and save yourself. But there was this other criminal 
that said something that will ring a bell this morning. Let's look at it. Luke 23, 40 through 41. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Sound familiar? So this man believes that he's getting what he deserves. Yes, maybe Roman justice hammered him to the cross. And man, he made his bed and now he's laying in it. That's probably what the spectators, as they looked up at him, were thinking. But watch what happens. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believes that Jesus oversees the kingdom of God. And he humbly says, just, just remember me when you enter your kingdom. And does Jesus ignore him? This is our Jesus. This is his realm of thinking, my friends. And here is the answer to this man's request who believes he's getting what he deserves. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Justice has been served unto you. Nope, you get what you deserve. I'm sorry. No one can save you. No. The son of the living God said, today you will be with me in paradise. I love what Katie Stover wrote about this thief on the cross. She wrote, how does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? No baptism, no communion, no confirmation, no speaking in tongues, no mission trip, no volunteerism, no church clothes. He couldn't even bend his knees to pray. He didn't say the sinner's prayer and among other things, he was a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain, heal his body, smite his scoffers. Yet it was a thief who walked into heaven the same hour as Jesus simply by believing. He had nothing more to offer other than his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. No brilliant spin from from theologians, no ego, no arrogance, no shiny lights, no skinny jeans or crafty words, no haze machine, donuts and coffee at the entrance, just a naked, dying man on a cross, unable to face and fold his hands to pray. You see, we have this idea, my friends, that our relationship with God, his affection for us is based on our behavior based on our behavior. The better the person you are, the more God likes you and loves you, the more he'll bless you and give you what you deserve. The more mistakes you make and the sins you commit, God becomes mad at you. And the less he likes you and loves you and less he will bless you. That is a lie. Look at this statement. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting what we do not deserve. God is a God of mercy and grace. Mercy simply means that we don't get the bad we deserve. And grace means that we get the good that we don't deserve. So by God's grace, we do not receive just punishment. We truly deserve for our sins. Jesus took what we deserve. 
Our gracious God is not mad at you. Our gracious God is mad about you as a beloved son and daughter of his. And his love is solid and unconditional and unwavering. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. But because of, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we are dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the age to come he might show incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. <laughs> you see, the Bible teaches that we can never do enough good to overcome the bad that we've done. <laughs> we can never be, uh, never be good enough not to deserve, really, even death. Even when we are dead in our transgressions. According to the scripture, without exception, we deserve to spend eternity in hell because we sin against God every day. Yet authentic belief in Jesus Christ spares us. Jesus never said you get what you deserve because the blessing of adoption as sons and daughters of God is not our right by our right. Not ours by right. But God chooses to sign the adoption papers. And it is by his grace and mercy that he does this. Not because we earned it, but because of some or some or because of some power or beauty in us. Look at Romans 3, 23 through 26. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. You know, in the late 90s, I was uh, in chapel at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. And our president of the seminary, uh, cemetery, seminary, <laughs> seminary uh, was Maxie Dunham. And I remember Maxie began his sermon in chapel one morning. He began with, good morning, saints of God. And everyone shouted a hearty, good morning, Maxie. And then he continued. He said, good morning, sinners. It wasn't a hearty response back to Maxie. <laughs> it was not as hearty. You see, we are all sinners being transformed into saints. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Paul writes. However, because of the unmerited, unconditional love of God, God saves us. And it comes by our faith. And we are made right, justified in God. And God is a God of mercy and grace. And grace is available. You can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. In his sacrifice, you have to receive it. In one of his books, Norman Vincent Peale tells about a young man in North Carolina named Samuel Mann who was tramping through uh, the countryside. But some, he was in a hurry and, and he decided to cut through the swamp 
uh, rather than make the wide detour around the swamp. He had on high hip boots and was slogging through the wet ground uh, when he came to look like an area uh, of dry sand. And he tried to cross it and then suddenly he sank down to his knees. And as he tried to get back, a powerful suction gripped his legs like a vice, dragging him down deeper and deeper. And in a moment of complete horror, he realized he was in a great pocket of quicksand. And he remembered what the natives had said in that area. Nobody ever gets out of those quicksands alive. For a moment, he was paralyzed by panic, sinking deeper and deeper. To his left, he saw some marsh grass uh, growing. And he thought, perhaps I could just grab that grass and, and pull myself out. If I could just reach it, it could maybe be a strength, like a rope. And he reached out his hand. But there was a gap of, of about three feet between his fingers and that grass. And he knew if he lunged for the grass and missed it, he would disappear under that treacherous quicksand. And if he did nothing, he was doomed as well. By now, the sand was almost to the top of his hips. And suddenly he realized that it wasn't the sand that was holding him. Rather, the sand was holding his boots. In which turn, that was holding him. So with shaking fingers, he undid the straps that were holding his boots to his belt. And then taking some deep breaths and asking God for help, he did it. He flung himself full length out of his boots and out of the deadly sand. His fingers touched the marsh, uh, marsh grass and desperately he pulled himself inch by inch, slowly by slowly, out of that sand onto solid earth. And he was safe. He wrote this down in his journal. It was an enormous struggle. He thought his life was done. This is how many, this is how many uh, people regard the Christian faith. When they say, are you a Christian? Someone asks you, well, embarrass, embarrassingly, well, I try to be. Let me just stretch out my hands for some, for some grass and I think I'll make it. And we miss the joy of the gospel. The gospel is not about our, our desperately reaching out to prove our virtue in God. Rather, it's about God who reaches down in love and grace and mercy and forgiveness to us. It is he, he who pulls us out of the quicksand of sin and self-destruction. And it's not an accomplishment that we do somehow pull off on our own. It's a rescue based on love. Look at the amazing scripture in Psalm 103. It said, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his own children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. Do you realize that if you confess your sins to God, God is faithful and just? And forgives your sins. And cleanses you of all unrighteousness. The slate is clean. 
you are forgiven and you go in freedom. Even though you don't deserve it, God bestows it. In light of all of this, what is our response to ourselves and our response to others in the way God operates with them? Jesus told a very powerful parable about a landowner who went out in the early morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning, to hire workers for his vineyard. And this was a common practice in that part of the world, particularly during the grape harvest. Storms could easily ruin the crop, so it was important to get that harvest in as quickly as possible. So So for a time, anyone who wanted a job could have one. And the work was hard. Working hours were from dawn to sunset, which in that Mediterranean country meant a 12-hour day. And the wage was standard. It was one denarii or a silver coin. Now, a denarii uh, was, not the only, was not only the average daily wage for a worker, but it was also the average daily cost of living for the masses of poor families in those days. It didn't allow any, really any room for maneuver. A denarius would buy your family what they needed to stay alive. No more, no less. So a day's work and a full day's wage were essential to survival. Now during the grape harvest, men who wanted to work would would go down to the marketplace and stand around. It's like they were going to the, the employment center in the morning to go look for a job for that day. And they would work 12 hours. And then they would be paid at the end of the day. Each man would go home and be able to provide. If he found no work for that day, then he was unable to earn uh, the whole denarius and his family probably wouldn't eat. And it would not be enough to stave off the hunger pains. So I hope that you'll appreciate then what is at stake for the workers in this story. It's not about fairness. For some of these workers, it's about survival. And that helps explain the dynamics of the story. So Jesus tells this parable. The landowner went out at 6 o'clock in the morning to hire his workers. He agreed to pay those workers the standard rate of the denarii for the day. And about 9 in the morning, the uh, vineyard owner went back down to the marketplace, saw some other men standing around uh, doing nothing. Obviously, no other jobs were available. And then he told them, you go, go ahead and work. I want you to work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you what is right, a denarii. So they went. And then he went out at noon. And then at 3 in the afternoon again, and did the same thing, hired new men. And then about 5 in the afternoon, the final hour of the workday, he went out and he found others standing around. And he told them, you guys go and work in my vineyard too. And when quitting time came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, he said, call the workers and pay their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, Jesus said, and going on to the first hired. And then the workers who were hired came at at 5 in the afternoon, came and they received the denarius. And they were tickled. Can you imagine how deliriously happy they were to get a denarius for an hour of work? They would be able to feed their families. They would be able to pay their bills. And how in the world, under such circumstances, could they be expected to hide their joy and their gladness and their pay? And that created a problem. When those who were hired first eventually came to be paid, they knew how generous the landowner was with the people who were hired later in the day. And can you imagine their disappointment when they received a denarii? They began to grumble, Jesus said. 
Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us. You have uh, borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the landowner answered one of them. Jesus says this. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarii? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And then Jesus adds these cryptic words to this powerful parable. So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is a story of incredible generosity of God. God pours out his grace completely on all of those who receive that grace. And we who have labored in the the vineyard of, of Christianity for most of our lives would like to think that we'll get an extra measure of grace in return for our many years of service. But it will not happen. The Father's love is without limits, my friends. He pours out His grace without reservation, without any regard to those who deserve it and those who do not. If that bothers you, I just want to tell you right now, you got to get over it. (laughs) If there are no limits on grace, it exceeds everything we could ever hope for. Everything we could ever expect. How can one person say that he's got more than another? More than another. You know, if I have a great deal of money, I might, be a, I might buy a piece of property on the oceanfront. My piece of property might be nicer than yours, but no one can buy the whole ocean, no matter how wealthy they are. God's grace, my friends, is greater than any ocean, any landmass, or entire horizon as well. And it's poured out in infinite uh, quantities on you and me. And it's totally unearned. Whether we've labored for Christ for 50 years or 50 minutes, all we have to do is receive God's grace to open our hearts to it. And to some people, it doesn't seem fair. But it is a fact, my friends. No wonder it's called amazing grace. So I want to ask you some questions this morning. And I want you to ponder these questions. The first one is, what am I not getting from God? That I feel I deserve. Ponder that for a second. And then how about this question. Which part of my life. And faith. Are still a failing attempt to repay Jesus.
And then the next question. What would it look like to live as a worshipful response to the priceless grace I could never earn? What would your life look like in light of this question? As a worshipful offering that glorifies God and shines the light of Christ. And then the last question, very important. To whom do I need to extend grace to? Whom do I need to extend grace to? The Bible says that today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of salvation. And we have to confess our shortcomings, the confusion, the lies that we believe. And we have to repent of our sins and completely come back to God and we find His grace and His love, His forgiveness and His unending, unending, unfathomable love for you and for me. Why? You know what? It's, it's just amazing. He didn't deserve it. But He took it on. Our sin. He didn't deserve it. We did. He took our place. And so God, we ask that you would enter into our lives with this amazing grace. And may we live as ambassadors of this grace. That we would live as a, as a glorifying reflection, a worshipful reflection of this grace. And God, we pray that this amazing grace would captivate our lives so that we would no longer be the same. And God, that we would see others differently too. That, that, you know what, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that we would be able to extend our arms out and love on those people with your grace. So we ask that you would fill us with your love so that we can extend that love outwardly to others. That we would live like that as Christians. The call of Christ is to be people of this amazing grace. Jesus, thank you for taking on our sins upon yourself on the cross. You didn't deserve it. Not one bit of it. We did. But you took it on. And we love you for it. So may our lives be filled, be filled with this amazing grace. We thank you. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.